You're listening to That Real Girl Podcast. Hey, do you ever need an extra dose of realness in your life? Is our social media world hard on your mental health? Yeah, me too. That's why I created That Real Girl Podcast and platform. Our constant state of connection is not always easy on our self-love and journeys. We hear that and we fear that. We are here to be real and in our feels together. If you need a little boost of empowerment, maybe someone to get you thinking a little deeper, some wholesome support, and quite possibly a little bit of comedic moments, welcome to your safe space. Tune in every Wednesday with me, host Taylor, to recharge, reset, and reflect as a team. We will always be unraveling daily motivation, success, failures, self-love, and everything in between. Most importantly, your place for everything real talk. Catch us on Apple and Spotify podcasts or anywhere where you listen. Ready? Yeah. Okay, welcome back to another episode of That Real Girl. Today is the inside scoop and I'm sitting down with the lovely Vanessa, who you might know from Instagram as Foodie Farm Babe. Welcome. <laughs> hello, hello, Taylor. <laughs> I'm so excited to have a nice, awesome conversation with you today and for all the little topics we'll talk about. I think they are really good little scoops into who you are and maybe some hot tips along the way. So <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about her background as well as kind of her platform in general. And many of you may know that she has a lot of other digital creations that surround her luxury cakes and chocolates that she makes, so we'll touch on that as well. Um, We'll kind of end off with finding balance within the chaos and learning to embrace your identity, culture, and inner self. So you're ready to get into it. I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so first let's just talk a little bit about who you are for my listeners, anyone listening who doesn't know you from Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I am a Chinese-born Canadian. I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. So very small town life for sure for a lot of my life, which has impacted kind of who I am today. Uh, Most people know me as the cake making girl, obviously. Lately, maybe more so the bougie chocolate bar maker. Um, But most of what I want to share today is my acceptance of my own culture, my food culture, my family, my heritage, and kind of how I got to where I am today. I think I'm really excited for that part because, like, although I, I'm French and Ukrainian, which, like, who's not Ukrainian in, in the city, <laughs> but I feel like, um, honestly, I feel like culture wasn't a huge thing that we, like, super embraced growing up, although, like, I would say all of our Christmases and holidays were surrounded by, like, Ukrainian um, kind of identifying. Uh, I feel like it's very interesting to see some of the people who really really do embrace where they do come from especially watching you on instagram with like your family like your grandma it's just, <laughs> it's just so she is like the cutest thing ever like honestly i mean we should have just had her here today i know <laughs> i know she she's my favorite she's That's definitely awesome. my favorite where did you grow up in a small town like just near Saskatoon? yes i grew up in a small town called Kalonze. it's about 45 minutes from saskatoon um I say I'm from Saskatoon now because I've lived here for forever, but we, um, I was there till I was 17. Wow. And yeah. were your parents born in Canada? No. My, my parents immigrated from China. Um, they lived in Saskatoon for a little bit and then they moved out to Kalonze. They bought a restaurant out there. Wow. 
yeah, your stereotypical, you know, Asians <laughs> move to a small town, open up a restaurant story. And that that's pretty much why I grew up there. Well, it's kind of inspiring, mm-hmm. though. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So if you had to pick some little fun facts about yourself, what would they be if you could share them? Besides kind of where you actually came from and your job, what are some like really little favorite things that you like in your day-to-day life that are fun facts about you? You can take a minute and think about it. <laughs> yes, I do. And I'm like, what is fun about me? Um... I love eating fancy food. Maybe that's not a fact because that's probably pretty knowable about me, but (laughs) interesting, adventurous, different types of foods. That's really interesting about, um, to me. And that's something I'm very passionate about. Um, something else, probably that I am an extroverted introvert. I think I come off as very confident and extroverted to everyone that sees me, whether that's on social media or even to my real life friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, I burn out very, very quickly. I think (laughs) I even think mean thoughts sometimes to the point where I'm like, like, I no longer want to talk to you. Is that bad? Is that bad? You know, when you're in that like small talk conversation and you just want out, that's me almost most of the time. I'm so bubbly and I love to see you for like the first 10 minutes and then and then I'm done talking. Actually, no, that's funny that you say that because I definitely years ago read an article about extrovert, introvert. It's for sure a thing. You can be both for anyone who thinks otherwise. <laughs> um, I'm extroverted in terms of I feel comfortable talking to anyone. Absolutely. But my social battery definitely runs out and it hits hard when you're a nurse, when you kind of have to have a social battery for 12 hours. Yes. Um, I mean... Well, shit, as well as podcasting. (laughs) I don't know what I did to myself there, exactly. But no, I can relate to that for sure. So just before I actually even forget to mention, you, besides your digital creating that we will get into more details later, what is your main career as well that you're doing on a day-to-day basis? So I am an oncology pharmacist, which means that I work with patients that have cancer. And then I specialize in pediatric oncology, which is kids that are going through uh, cancer treatment. So a lot of people have a misconception about well, you know, what a pharmacist does. A lot of people still think that my job is just me counting pills, which is never. <laughs> that is not my job. That's not what I do. And then, you know, the other common pharmacist role that you see is your community pharmacist, right? That dispenses you your medications at, you know, those big box stores or, you know, some independent pharmacies as well. But I don't do that either. So my job is very different from the stereotypical um, pharmacy job where that my focus is really on optimizing your chemotherapy treatment. So I am the one that's behind the scenes uh, doing all those calculations, making sure that the amount of poison we give you is just enough poison to kick that cancer and not enough poison to kill you, right? And then the other side of giving people medications like this is that they experience a lot of side effects. So my role is to teach them about those side effects and help them manage them, give them supportive care medications that help them get through that treatment and uh, hopefully get a cure. It must be really rewarding to be able to see people kind of start out and make it through some of that as well. It is very rewarding. I mean, the first thing people say to me is, wow, that's so sad. But the first thing I think about when I talk to my patients and I see my patients, whether they're the adult patients or especially the kids, 
I surprisingly, I don't think of them as cancer patients. Like, you know, you don't look at a person and think, you know, oh, you're, you're can you have cancer, right? Like that's still just a person you're helping. And as a nurse, you probably know that yeah. too. When you're helping a patient, whether they have heart failure or whether they have kidney failure, all those things, you you don't put that label on them. You're, you only have one goal and your goal is to help them, right? Yeah, that doesn't true. limit you from helping them. People think, oh, it's so sad. I could never do that job. But really that sadness doesn't limit you. If anything, it really empower you, empowers you to help them more. I feel like I really relate to that actually. Maybe not from like an oncology mm-hmm. standpoint, but being in cardiology, it, it's not always like people don't always get to leave the hospital floor like sometimes unfortunately that is the last little rodeo for them in Mm -hmm. a sense and unfortunately they maybe reach the end point of treatments not being able to do anything anymore for Mm -hmm. their heart Mm -hmm. um although i for the people who do get to leave and the people who we get to help from having really really tragic heart attacks or arrests and be able to get them to the point where they're finally going home a month later um I don't really find it hard in the sense when, when people, even like my partner, is like, I, I couldn't do what you do. I'm like, no, you probably could. You could. When you're there and you're helping, you're doing it. You're you in the moment. Yeah, you don't really feel like lost or sad about it. You're just like, I'm helping and they're going to get better. And then it's, oh, like, it feels so good when they get to leave, like, say it's a week or two weeks later. And you're like, bye. Like, yes. Never come back. Yes. I'm so glad you're leaving. Oh, like, man. You mean it from like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that yes. this worked out for them. You know. Yes. So. And I always say that the, the bad days are awful, but the good days are so good. And even if that means that, you know, 80 percent of my job is awful, that 20%, when that 20% happens, it makes everything so worth it. And you're right, really? seeing when my kids get to smash that gong three times and say that they're finished their three years of chemotherapy treatment, yeah. it's just, it's so beautiful, it's so amazing, and it makes all the awful stuff worth it. Do you like kids? <laughs> I, literally, I literally need to like ask every woman I meet that especially someone who works with kids too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I could never work in pediatrics one because it because of some of the sadness though I think that would hit a little bit uh, too hard to home just for some like really deep personal reasons but I like I have issues and maybe you wouldn't feel this from a pharmacist perspective but from a nurse perspective when I did a rotation way back and being in school in pediatrics I'm like not a very good player Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I mean that in a sense that I really like kids and I probably would like my own children more than other people's kids I mean who doesn't Mm -hmm. but um I promise I don't hate kids for anyone listening (laughs) I'm trying to sound like a, a child hater I do want children on my own but I when you're a nurse, like, in pediatrics, you almost have to, like, involve, like, your nursing care with the tactics of, like, playing, um, especially for young, young kids. Yes. Like, if you have somebody 16, that's different. Yes. But I am very not abled in that area. I feel like I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens when I have a child someday, and they're like, oh, like, let's play pretend, and I'll be like, yeah like, <laughs> like and like when it comes to nursing like when you have to give a needle to someone like and make it into a game I'm like 
I don't know. Like, let's just get this done. Like, <laughs> I'm just not, I don't have that mindset. I'm sure I could learn it, but it's just not really like ingrained in me naturally. Yes. I don't, I honestly don't envy the nurses that provide the care to our kids because that that's on a whole other level. And that is for sure not something I could do. Like my job is to come in when all the bad things are done. You know, I just walk in, I talk to you about your medications. It's very like, I'm not the villain, which I feel like as a nurse, it's, probably so hard to to find that balance and yeah. and not just do your job that is your regular job it's like this special skill that you have to have this extra special type of communication it is. they're special people like, yes i don't even really know any pediatric nurses like not personally like, no friends like no co-workers used mm-hmm. to do that so yeah whoever's listening if you're a pediatric nurse you're you're special they are special <laughs> they're amazing well, question though do i like kids yeah so I do love kids. Um, I I feel I pride myself on being the best anti-V. Like I am uh-huh. a rock star anti. I'm still battling with myself whether I love kids for me to like have my own kids. I always, always thought I'd have my own kids. I thought I'd have kids by the time I was 25. And then I thought I'd have kids. Oh, at least you'll have kids before 30. You know, that cliche oh, saying and then it's I like absolutely thought I would be in a different place right yes now, that's okay. <laughs> yes all those timelines that society has decided we had to follow I've pretty much broken I've pretty much broken all those rules I at this that's point that's how it's meant to be yeah I, I think so too but I do love kids I love everyone else's kids and I love the kids in peds that I get to hang out with they are just the best those kids are so strong too they are they are and like I said when I don't, I don't treat them as if they don't, I don't treat them as if they have cancer and they also don't act as if they have cancer, right? They, a lot of them, they're so young, they don't really understand what's going on. They just understand that they're sick, right? And that's just their life. So when they come out, they're super excited to see me and they're really excited to tell me about their tractor and, and the sticker that I just gave them. And it's, it's honestly just a very sweet time. I think maybe a lot of us have to just think like kids more. Yeah. I feel like they're going through this like tragic thing yes. that they don't even realize. But what's more important is that they get to go play a game later. Yes. Show. <laughs> we all need to have like a child mindset when things are tough, I suppose. Yes. Um, one thing I want to touch on before we kind of get into a little bit of the digital creation background um, to yourself is I just want to talk about this soup competition. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like I'm like a soup I'm like a soup girl. Like you're I'm a like, soup girl. Did you oh, go? No, but what? Like, I mean, knows the thing. But, like, okay, I'm next like, year. Like if if like you ask anybody who like knows me well if. I could probably just like eat something every day for the rest of my life. It would be like a different kind of soup every day. Like, I like, I like, I don't know what it is about like, bro- like this is sounds probably completely weird, but like, but like, I just like broth too. Like just like, I like, there's something like guessing ingredients too, but just like, I just love eating soup. It just like, is like. That event was made for you. That yes. event was made for you. <laughs> I need to be a judge. You need to. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty sure I started going when I was your age and I've gone multiple years in a row since then. Like, So this is an annual thing. This is an annual thing. It happens every single year. And every year I try to rally up as many people. I'm like, guys, this is the coolest event ever. This is the best event that I ever attend. It's super affordable. Yeah. It's like a great date night idea and it's the cheapest dinner you'll ever be able to pay for i think they increased the price a little bit this year the tickets were two for thirty dollars so fifteen dollars for like 11 bowls of soup like 
made by chefs that are like renowned practice they're competing out there to make the most amazing soup ever like you will never have such gourmet soups for 15 dollars a person no, ever you can't even even if i were right now to go make soup at home to go exactly make you need like you're at least like i mean soup's pretty affordable to make but like it's not 15 dollars no. for sure but I'm just so interested about I'm gonna have to, I mean, I'm going to have to like put this in my calendar that it's yes. like, so next year it would be in February, basically. Usually, yeah. So it's oh, always okay. during Nutrient Winter Shines, like oh, their festival. Okay. So it's always a part of that festival. Sometimes it's at the end of January. Sometimes it's, this year it's at, in February. I've actually never had it this late oh, okay. uh, in like the beginning of the year before. But it's always when it's freezing cold outside, when you need like a beautiful bowl of soup, that's when the event is. I'm like a definitely a summer girl but the, my favorite part about having to unfortunately embrace the winter is something about like warmth a blanket and a bowl of soup i am obsessed with soup i am also obsessed so, i had a soup course so at my wedding what was oh gosh yeah i had a basically a soup competition course <laughs> Chef Dana, who is amazing, she's from the Saskatoon Club, she has won the soup competition so many times, she wow. doesn't compete anymore. She actually was like organizing the event this year because that's how cool she is. <laughs> I had my wedding dinner at the Saskatoon Club and she had all these preparations done and she made three different soups wow. for me to try for our wedding because we had like a six or seven course dinner planned and one of them had to be a soup course and I said it has to be from Dana because she's just amazing at making soup and I love her soup so she made three different soups for us to try to decide which one we wanted to be in our you know wedding dinner oh my god and so we had these three bowls of soups and I was like these are so good and I looked at my husband or fiance at the time and I said you know what would be amazing if we could have all three bowls of soup at our wedding and he He's like, Vanessa, that's ridiculous. And I was like, we could just have like a soup competition course at our wedding. That'd be so cool. And he's like, that's, great. that's really ridiculous though. And then when the chefs came back in, I was like, I'm going to ask them. I'm going to ask them. <laughs> and she said, yes, she totally did it. She did small little oh cup God. versions of each soup. Yeah. And I had a soup competition course at our wedding head. dinner. It was so good. Yeah. Okay, so what was the best soup that you, like, could you pick one from the other week when you were at the competition? Or, like, was it too hard to narrow down what was your favorite? Uh, the favorite, my favorite was the one that won on Wednesday. And okay. that was the one from the Saskatoon Club. And the chef, uh, Delane, that created it, she's actually mentored by Chef Dana. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, don't, like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> she had a really good teacher, and she is also very, very talented herself. Well, so, yeah. I don't know. Did you post any reels about the soup thing, or was it just like stories? I haven't yet. It's only been stories. Okay, well, keep, people keep posting because like the stories were. <laughs> I, so I want soups. to. I, I took behind the scenes of all of it, like our conversations, us trying all the soups, and I was like, you know, I wonder if people actually care about this. Like, yeah, no, I care. Know? <laughs> I, even if no one else does, I care. Just so it makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I want to kind of segue that into the inside scoop on a little bit of your journey with digital creating and we were talking before we started recording a little bit about uh some imposter syndromes maybe we'll touch on that <laughs> yeah okay so how did your journey with digital creating actually start Cause i feel like your social media isn't really just about your personal life it's kind of you know a mix of all these different awesome like career and hobbies that you're doing so was it always that way or like was it like just personal like you posting photos like is this the same instagram you've had since forever like where did this all start yeah 
Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) I think looking at my social media now versus five years ago versus five years before that, I think I've been on social media for that. That like really dates me. That's terrifying. No. (laughs) (laughs) But I think where I started was this was just a place for me to share my cakes. So when I first started making cakes, I was like, I'm just going to use this as my little diary of the things I make. And I was definitely in a lot of denial for like probably 80% of how long I've been on social media for as to why I was posting or what I was posting or what that made me, you know, what that labeled me as. Um, Probably just because of the way people thought of that, you know, the way people judged what people did on social media or how they portrayed themselves. I think that definitely came into play into how I felt about myself being on social media. Does that make sense? I feel like 10 years ago and more even to there was a lot more judgment about people even doing kind of any kind of creation. Yes. It was more of a, it was more of like a social aspect when it came to like Instagram and Facebook. It was like a place to post about like social outings that you yes. did with like friends or family, right? It wasn't really like about things that you were creating or business or stuff like that. No, absolutely not. So I think that's probably why the judgment was like sort of heavy and it's still there, but it's like different it's, world now. Yes, it's different now. I think people are maybe not more accepting, but they understand that it's a part of our lives yeah. uh, and that they kind of have to accept that differently. Uh, and with those changes, I feel like I've really accepted, uh, you know, what I like doing on social media and things that I do on social media now compared to before are way different. I mean, with the start of reels and, you know, video content creation becoming, you know, the mainstream of social media that we see these days, you know, a photo, God forbid, is like an ancient artifact nowadays, which is just awful. So do I. I love photos. I mean, I felt like as soon as I started getting good at taking photos, they were like, and now we're going to do video. And I was like, oh my God, I got to learn a new skill. But I do love TikTok. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yes. It's, but it's addicting. Yeah. Like, I think that's, I don't know, someone told me the other week, they think the reason it's called TikTok is because, like, you, uh, like, like, TikTok, like, a clock, like, because you're spending so much time, like, scrolling on <laughs> oh it. Oh, my gosh. Does that make sense? No, like, that... Because I definitely, myself, like, started scrolling, and I'm, and I'm like, oh, I was like, wow, that's a lot of time that's passed, my bad. Yes, Because I'm, like, saving sounds, I like... Oh, my gosh, yes, yes. But, no, I feel like I've just gotten to this place now where... I was kind of in denial, in denial, in denial, and then I was doing more and more of the things that, you know, that stereotypical box of being a digital creator is, and I was, you know, it kind of reminds me of when I first started dating my husband, okay. because he was like, we're dating, and I said, no, we're not dating, and he said, Vanessa, we're dating, and I'm like, no, I'm trying to be single, I'm trying to find myself, and you know, oh be God, single. This is exactly what it is. Now that I think, I've never actually thought of this analogy before, but now okay. that we're talking, it's come up. But I spent so many months hanging out with Tyler every single day. We hung out every day. Every day he would say, hey, what are you up to? And I'd be like, same as every other day. Like, did you want to hang out? And then we would hang out every day for like nine months. All through the summer, I was like, oh yeah, we're just hanging out. We're just friends. And he's like, that's what we're dating. And I'm like, we're not dating. And he's like, fine, well, I'm dating. You do whatever you want. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's a very similar relationship to social media for me is I was like, we're not dating. We're not dating. Even though I'm clearly, you know, creating content, creating all these videos and photos. And I'm, I'm sharing so much more than 
this is a photo of us at a barbecue last weekend. You know, like, it's not that. I'm not doing that anymore. And I think once I got to that point where I was like, okay, you're right, we are dating. I am a digital content creator. I should really embrace that and and accept that I do enjoy doing that. And that's okay. I love that, actually. I think that's interesting that you make that point because I definitely am not posting that I went to a barbecue last week. And although maybe my goal isn't to be a digital creator as much as build a platform of the podcast. I think those like I am statements of just like embracing yes. what it actually is are really important. So yeah, like just that. saying it to everyone else first, even if you don't believe it, that's probably what I was when I put that label on my <laughs> social media platform. I feel like that was more for me than it was for everyone else. And like we had mentioned earlier, I still don't really believe it, but I am here and we are dating and now we're married. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think no matter how long you've been doing something, like even if, you know, say you've been a pharmacist someday down the line, like 20 years from now, we all like, do you ever have imposter syndrome, like with your actual like career or your job? Because I feel that way in nursing sometimes too. And so much more of it's like the mindset where, um, you don't realize how much you've learned over the years and I there's still some times where I'm like oh yeah I'm not a brand new nurse anymore like that's past I like, know things I know like, a lot of things yeah but sometimes like when you're not maybe saying them or doing them every day you don't realize all like the knowledge or experience that you've gained until like push comes to shove and I'm like oh wow like I'm like I'm like a real nerd <laughs> like, this is, so like I think like I, maybe we always have like little imposter syndrome moments. It's not always going to be like some kind of like linear thing and sometimes like little circles, I yeah. think. It'll pop back in yeah. here and there. But I think it's just about reminding yourself that you're awesome at whatever you are doing. And even if it's the beginning of starting something new, like beginning to be a digital creator, that it's okay if you're new and you're not like the next person who has a million followers yes. too. So it's okay to like work towards getting there if that's what you want. So I don't think you should feel like you're less than just because you're starting somewhere and someone's already been doing something for 10 years. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So I think maybe most of my imposter syndrome probably comes from like looking at where everybody else is at. Yes. To where I am. Me too. Awful. Otherwise that's... if I didn't see anything that anyone else was doing, yes. I probably would, wouldn't feel that way. Yes. That's I've, so, that's I've just... never thought of it that way. Yeah. What if I just didn't see anyone else's work? Which is why sometimes I, there's, I select who I actually follow, which sounds like really bad. It's oh no. Because I'm like, it's that's not, not bad. You, if you're just going to follow somebody just to follow them and then no. never look at their stuff, then what's the point, right? Yes. And if like, there's things that are making you feel bad about yourself for when it comes to people you're following. I don't know why someone would keep following them because that sounds like a toxic relationship. So. It does. I also think there's like this little analogy. I don't know who I heard it from and I would love to quote them if I could but remember, but I'll think about it. But basically it's called like the grocery store analogy. So if you were in a grocery store and you wouldn't actually go up and say hi to that person or like have a quick little small talk conversation, like you don't have to be their best friend, but you wouldn't actually do that. You'd be avoiding them basically. Then you shouldn't actually be following them on social media. So I'm not saying that you like have to like, no, that no I like that. I like that. It's just kind of like, I kind of like that analogy a little bit. Like, you know, if there's all these people, even, you know, people that 
maybe I went to school with a long time ago that I actually have no relationship with anymore, which is fine. Like nothing's happened. It's just kind of like how the cycle of life works. Yep. Why am I really, why am I following them really? Like I I don't really need to see that they're getting engaged or married or doing Mm -hmm. this. Unless I I feel like supporting like something that they are doing in their life and that's fine. But if I saw them in the grocery store, would I actually be like, oh, hi. (laughs) And then like keep walking. Would I, or would I like be trying to avoid them? I don't know. Yeah. I so, feel that. Kind of interesting. I thought. feel that strongly. <laughs> so in terms of when your social media started off with like your diary kind of a being like with your baking and your cakes, when do you think there was kind of like that turning point where it became even more than that? Because I feel like you do have like a larger side to um, kind of like personal reminders and authenticity and it, like kind of embracing your culture too. Was that more of a recent switch, do you think? Or... Because I've been around for a while. Yeah, I would definitely say more recent. Like, just start of the pandemic, I think, is kind of where things switched a bit more for me. Chocolate kind of came into the game a lot later, too, because of the show that I was on. So that that was the basically the only reason chocolate came into my life. I was (laughs) on the Food Network. (laughs) Um. (laughs) It literally just snorted. It's, okay, a, it's, well, a, it's authentic. Just, it's let's authentic. just chat about that quick. Yeah, okay. So I was on the Grey Chocolate Showdown. It's oh my a God, show I love on. That show. Do you I, actually? <laughs> I have seen it a little bit. My friend, a really good friend of mine, Lauren. Oh, she probably even follows you. Maybe that's how I started following you. I think so. Her name is Lauren. She's a teacher in the city here. And um, she. Like, I, she's talked about your chocolates for a long time. And I think that's how I started following you. Maybe, like, probably when I got social media again back in August. So. And I think she meant, because she was trying to not be on the chocolate show, but she's, if she'd been working, like, every time she has a day off, like, it's hard with her being a teacher, she's trying to, like, do different baking, because she's trying to get on the Great Great Canadian Canadian Baking baking Show, show. yes. And honestly, she is, like, and she's an amateur baker, but just makes some of the cutest things. I I actually tried to get on that show twice. Oh, my God. Yes, I auditioned twice. I got super close, as they say, the one, um both times but I never made it on oh shoot I know I never made it on and then Great Chocolate Short on reached out and was like hey you should come do the show and I was like I don't know anything about chocolate I make oh. a chocolate cake and they're like oh it'll be loosely chocolate themed that's more like the background and it was not it was very chocolate themed it was completely chocolate all chocolate oh, but it was an amazing experience I learned so much about a completely different art form that I'd never seen before yeah. it's the hardest thing I create is chocolate bars. Oh, God, look at them. Yeah, like the the technique behind chocolate is just so different from cakes. When I'm creating a cake, it's like anything I see that is wrong with it or ugly or or wrong, I can easily fix. The fix is almost always easier than chocolate, whereas chocolate has what I call a very narrow window of success and a very wide window of error, essentially. So there's just so much room for you to mess it up, whether that's humidity, temperature, uh, time, the air, all of these things that can affect chocolate. And chocolate is a very expensive ingredient. Um, And a focus of mine is to source in very, very high quality chocolate, which also happens to be extremely expensive. So messing things up like that is just very high pressure. And it's taken me a very long time to get really good at it. And I feel like now, like three four years later now I don't even know how many years now I can say hey I'm good at this yeah but I'm so happy people are supporting (laughs) you like they're incredible for anyone who hasn't seen them definitely we'll be linking 
Vanessa's Instagram and everything, so she, you'll be able to see the content behind the scenes of the chocolate making, which mm-hmm. is nice. So, yeah. Do you it, find it, like, although obviously you're doing it as, like, on the side of everything, do you find it therapeutic or do you find it can be quite stressful or have you gotten to a point where it's more of, like, therapeutic now? It's therapeutic now. Okay. <laughs> I've gotten better practice, not only at the craft itself, but asking for help so one of my uh pediatric oncology nurses is my apprentice (laughs) yeah i always joke uh like i only hire health like we were a healthcare team making chocolate bars and it's hilarious because anyone that helps me is like from work and i'm like man this is a very expensive like employment (laughs) like very highly trained you have to have like a university degree and like specialized pediatrics training to be a chocolate maker apparently (laughs) But I I ask for help. That's why things are better now and why I feel like it's a place where I actually enjoy what I'm doing and I find it as a therapeutic art form is that the things I don't want to do, I get somebody else to come help me. And now I feel like it is very enjoyable. Whereas the first probably many years of me figuring this out has been not that enjoyable. Was there ever a moment where you didn't even want to continue with it? Oh, for sure. Multiple times. Just because there's, like I said, such a high rate of failure, having failed so many times, it was just very uncommon for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't find that with cakes as much, um, or I felt like the recovery from those failures for cakes was so much easier, whereas the recovery for chocolate, sometimes there wasn't a recovery, and that was... Wasted, really. Yes, yeah, and I think it's just a part of my personality where I feel like I excel at things very quickly. I'm not the best at anything, but I'm very good at, at everything. So when I want to be, when I want to become good at something, I can become good at it very quickly. But chocolate, that was not the case. It was so technically difficult. I, I, I struggled with that. And then I struggled with not being very good at it, which is not reasonable because you shouldn't have this expectation with yourself that you have to be amazing at this thing right away, just because, you know, you have a certain track record of feeling like you are that way. And I had to come to terms with that being like, it's okay to not be good at this right away. And maybe this is something that you have to put more time and work into to be good at. I think that's kind of like an important pivotal moment for yourself probably to remember and for anyone listening who has experienced that in other areas though too. I think, I'm trying to think of some moments maybe where I was not succeeding that well at something and kind of kept going. Maybe I'll have to come back to that. But Mm -hmm. when you're succeeding so easily all the time, maybe there is some motivation that starts to lack so almost sometimes maybe a little bit of failure actually kind of keeps you going it does bit, it keeps you grounded honestly keeps you humble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe that's a good way to put it um what would you tell someone who was considering maybe a path of adventuring into something that started maybe as a hobby for you that is a part of your career now in terms of not giving up because you're saying that it was really hard at the start and although baking maybe was a piece of cake (laughs) so corny oh my god Um, how did you kind of persevere through that because I mean even for me there's definitely been times where I'm having like a good few weeks with my podcast and platform and I'm like you know getting good feedback and like things are rolling and then maybe I have like a really long week with like five shifts of work and I'm like 
forget that I even am a part of this whole like community I'm like yeah. right gotta get back to this and I'm like I'm exhausted like maybe I should just stop doing this and I'm like no like this has been so good like keep going but sometimes it's hard to do that honestly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what would you say really kept you persevering was it just like not wanting to fail and just wanting to keep trying yes or? I think it's just pure grit honestly <laughs> That kind of is the defining line between like those who can push through those types of challenges and those who can't. I think there is that type of personality that says, nope, this isn't for me. I I don't foresee this in my future or this is too difficult or this is causing me too much stress and I can't continue to put my body through that stress. And for me, I was just very determined to figure it out and learning more and trying to, to find those sources of education was really helpful for me. To, to know that I couldn't just, you know, Google something or YouTube something and figure it out. Like, I had to go out of my way to find resources, actual credible resources to help me provide that information that I needed to succeed. And looking back now, when I was just trying to, like, bulldoze my way through it and just figure it out, I with the knowledge I have now, I know that was impossible. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have just made it work magically out of pure luck. Like, that was, it was not about luck. It was about the knowledge that I gained, not only through learning you know getting more learning and getting more education online but just the experience itself going through those failures and figuring out why i failed and then succeeding and figuring out why i succeeded like i didn't succeed because i got lucky i succeeded because i did something right so something in that environment was different from when i screwed up the first time and i had to figure that out meaning what did i do differently this time that made it different because it's not luck like chocolate is science. There's very much like something was different in this environment and it really just took that time of years of me doing it over and over and over again, failing, succeeding, failing, succeeding, being like, now I'm, now I feel very confident. I know I can feel it. I can see it. And I know when something's not going to work. I know we're talking about chocolate, but I think that applies to really anything. (laughs) (laughs) So before we kind of move on to a little bit of embracing culture and identity, I want to just quickly touch on what have been your favorite parts of being kind of in this I Instagram community that you have grown and shaped and what have been also the downfalls, things that you haven't liked maybe lately or in the past. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to have a community that is so supportive and so excited about the things that you're creating. I think that's what draws people to the platform the most is just finding people that care. And that might sound very not self-centered or, you know, attention grabbing, but that is just something that we crave, I think, as humans, is, yeah. is that acceptance and that um, that sense of community. And I think because of situations in my life that weren't so accepting and so positive I think that I gravitated towards a place where I thought I could reach a a larger audience and have that larger population to draw from that there would be there have to be people out there that somehow relate to me right and that's kind of our relationship with everyone we come into contact with as human beings is finding those people that you connect with and uh, that you relate to and obviously social media is a very big place um you're gonna have all those amazing people that connect with you and agree with you and then you're also gonna have the opposite side right so 
I would say it's definitely as ugly as it is beautiful. <laughs> Arguably, sometimes maybe more ugly than it is beautiful because it has definitely caused a sense of, I want to say almost vanity. Okay. I don't know if that's the right word, but... Um, and hatred towards vanity for myself, right? I, I feel like I have this standard to uphold and that I am this certain person that I'm supposed to be. But some days you don't want to be that person or, you know, it, it is just exhausting. Um, and that goes back to the social battery. Yeah, exactly. So, social battery. And, and seeing everyone's successes all the time is, is hard yeah. because we're not all succeeding all the time, right? And that's probably changed the way I portray myself on social media now compared to maybe a couple of years ago where it was the highlight reel, right? You're posting your best work. Look at this most beautiful cake that I made. Look at this amazing thing that I accomplished. Um, but knowing that because there's that good and bad side of the community that you can post the good and the bad sides of your life too. And it, it makes you actually more relatable to everyone else. And it also lowers that bar of, um, What's the word I'm thinking of? Expectations. Expectations. Yes, exactly. Both for the community and for myself, right? I don't have to be this amazing, perfect person all the time being portrayed on social media because that's not what I am in real life anyway, right? And people... Think you tried to like address that more on social media? Yes, yeah. yes. And I, you, I think you have to address that or else people don't expect it or they don't understand why you're sharing in a certain way or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would probably be a more recent development for me. And like you said, social media is such like a learning curve. It's so different from when it was 10 years ago, five years ago, one year ago. It's always rapidly evolving based on what our needs are as a society, right? And learning to not just hate social media, but know that it's going to be there and that if we want it to be a better place, we have to make it a better place ourselves because we are social media. We think, oh, there's social media and there's us in real life. But really like... It's not. It's the same. We yeah. are social media, so it's as awful as we make it. I mean, if you want me to be completely honest, if I could go back to when social media was created and wish it was never, I probably would wish it was never. Mm-hmm. Because I think the reason I got rid of social media like those four years ago was because there was part of me that had this notion that was thinking, why am I even posting these things? Like, am I posting them because I want people to see them? Or yes. because I'm actually enjoying them? I like them. This is me. This is what I do. Um, this is what I look like. Whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. But why am I posting these things? So to deactivate and not just deactivate, delete it, like, completely and whatever, like, I don't know how many followers I had back then, but, you know, lose all that, which really in the grand scheme of things, It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, it's not like, it's not like a something you can hold in your hand. No, I, I don't, I even think sometimes I'm like, <laughs> you just die tomorrow. It like, wouldn't even matter. Yeah. No, it, yeah, like, I mean, like, obviously it's hard not to think with that sometimes. I mean, what you, like, what you do, what I do, what other people do, it is important and it's about community and connection and, you know, supporting and empowering each other and I get that part. I really do love that side and that's what keeps me kind of going mm-hmm. through this little rotation now even where maybe I have little hiatuses that become busy and I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think a lot more about what I post because or I have moments where I'm doing the things and I don't actually someone's like, Oh like you didn't take any photos when you did that. I didn't see you post that. I'm like I honestly, I was just trying to like be like in the moment. Yes, and, like, I was just trying to enjoy it. 
sometimes like I'll try and take a little snippet of that and being like, okay, well, like bye for the weekend now because I'm gonna be like in the moment for the weekend and I'm not gonna post anything about the weekend. And mm-hmm. as much as I wish I did, maybe share some of like all the different things I do for myself or products I use or lots of the places I travel or eat at in like my local city and everything. I'm also not a digital creator. I'm more about empowerment and self-love so it's not always so focused around some of those things but I like seeing all the things that other people share though mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. I would say there's definitely still a lack of a lot of that authenticity though I oh, follow yes. a lot of the people who have the same mindset as me though so I don't see a lot of it but I know there is because there'll be people I come across and I'm like okay so this is why I don't follow you because it's really hard on my mental health yes and that sounds like so weak and no I I absolutely like, not I wish it was like you know I could just be like okay like that's fine that's that's their social media but it's really hard to see when there is like this big group of people and I, and I don't even like mean this like towards any kind of like specific influencers but mm-hmm. a lot of influencers I feel are still only kind of in that whole bubble of like everything is glamorous and perfect and about all these different massive routines that aren't even real to me personally and maybe they are to some people and kudos to you yeah I just don't like that side of thing and that's who I find hard to follow no matter who they are or how much I think that they are nice and awesome it's just it's hard to understand that side of things and that's why it's hard on my mental health yeah. So I feel that completely. And I think that goes back to, you know, what part of that community you choose to have. Yeah. Right. So like we said, social media is our real life. Yes. Right. So you if you wouldn't hang out with those people in real life, then maybe watching their lives it's on so is not good for you either. It's kind of like reality TV. Right. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, right? Did that did like, that hit really hard? <laughs> well, kinda like, to be honest, I or, really like, um, like, I haven't watched anything in a while, and, like, as morbid as this is going to sound, like, I I kind of like some of those, like, crime, like... True crime? True crime. Not, I haven't listened to podcasts, really. I have I'm never. sure they are good, but, like, um, more of, like, the stuff on Netflix was, like, documentaries and stuff. Okay. But you're, like, finished, like, any of those, like, kind of, like... Like murder crime documentaries. I've been on like a murder crime okay. movie binge on TikTok so lately. Like I do them, and then I'm like, and then like, do you ever notice like that maybe like your vibe and energy is like maybe not that good after? I'm like, maybe yes. I should watch like a comedy. Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's like you have to filter about like think about what you're actually intaking, whether that's like people on social media you're following or like what you're listening to in the media or watching yes I think it affects us more than we realize. Yes, and I think we one of the things you said was very important is taking a moment to assess how we feel after we watch something. And this goes back to like watching Netflix for me. Like if we watch something really stressful, um, especially if I've had a really stressful day at work, I can't do that. I can't go home. Even if it's completely fake, it's a fictional movie, you know, it's just a story, but it causes me so much stress in the moment that stress is stress. The feeling is that same feeling, whether you're feeling it at work or you're feeling it at home after work, or if you're feeling it on your phone screen while you're on social media, right? Kind of thinking about, okay, what did that give me? Did it just take away my time from something I could have been enjoying? Or did I truly like feel something positive from this? And that's really hard to do though, because I'm, I'm saying that's a great idea to do, but I know I still scroll and sometimes watch so much stuff from other people's lives that I'm I'm hating it the whole time. Honestly, I'm annoyed and I'm like, 
I feel like I'm just watching reality TV or I'm just watching reality TV with commercials or I'm just stuck on the commercials. <laughs> and I'm like, this is awful. Like, why, why am I doing you know, this? It's, right? It's like, important to think about it because it's really, it's like a relationship in itself because, you know, we think about whether it's like friendships or partners or family, if there was something that was causing us stress or like toxicity in our lives, like we would try and figure out how we can deal with it or step away from it. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to take social media with that same large grade of self yes. because yeah. I think it's almost like a relationship that we're like, wait, is this making me feel good today? Yeah. No, and maybe I, not. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why I'm so afraid to embrace you know, becoming a digital creator is I don't want to put myself in that seat that I that I hate watching. I, I don't want to become the that stereotype that I hate, right? And like you had mentioned earlier, not pointing out any individual person or, no. or, or creators out there that I hate. It's just, it doesn't provide that positivity for me and I don't want to become that same you know, stereotype, right? And I think there is that expectation, you know, this is what those digital creators do. If you are, to yeah, too. to succeed too, right? And I want to make sure that what I'm sharing is authentic to me and is something that's still providing me benefit, right? Whether I am, if I am doing a partnership with a brand, that it is actually something that I would use, truly use. Like, do you ever watch things and you're like, mm, I know we talked about this before because I was telling Vanessa that, and I don't even know who it was, who knows, it was probably multiple people, but there was a creator who had shared like kind of her routine with, I think it was Neutrogena, and I was like in my head thinking, girl, you do not use Neutrogena, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you don't, and I know it's your job, and I know like you need brand deals because that's what this is about and this is how you're doing this whole time but it's just mm -hmm. i maybe maybe we just need to realize it's almost like just like a commercial then yes maybe, that's what i said that's what i said right I to, like, you're just watching ads yeah maybe i just need to be like i'm not i'm not not being kind and maybe that's how i should look at it and empower those people yes maybe it is just like a commercial like you see for pepsi on tv yeah yeah and if you don't want to watch the ads you subscribe to you're you know right. there, netflix I'm, changing, I'm trying to like turn my mind yeah ex bit. exactly and, and i think that's how we decide whether we want that to be a part of our social media community or not you can choose yeah we always forget that right it's like you do actually have a choice as to what you want to expose yourself to and what you want to watch yeah right i think i just wish there was like maybe like maybe there is i wish there was like creators that say they did get an offer from neutrogena to do yes. an ad okay or partner with them and whatever they made from it who cares but I wish they almost like took it from the standpoint of like one, we know you're getting paid to do this ad. Yes, and that we part we all know that you do. You do have to disclose that. That is a legal. Yes. So, but it's like not that everyone does that because yeah. it's a legal thing that you need to do. Yes. But two, if you actually have never used Neutrogena, that's fine. But maybe they need to somehow be authentic in the fact of like hey, Neutrogena really want to partner with me because they like what I do. Yes. I'm trying to give it a, a go because this is what I could like about the product. Um, maybe they have some kind of like fun way that they are like yeah. showcasing, like utilizing the product, whatever it is. 
but almost just like being real within what the ad is. Like, yes. does that make sense? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. They, 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 you don't feel like you're just watching a TV commercial. Yeah. Because like we don't like the commercials. Like, oh, it's my least. That's why I hate cable. That is why Netflix came to be. I mean, now there's like a cheaper Netflix version with commercials. God damn it. But so the stuff I think I don't like seeing is like when you know they have this like a brand or a product, whatever it is, and they're like, "This is the best thing in the world. My favorite thing." That's when it's like, "This that, is terrible." That, yes. So that's the that's like the that kills the me. Line, fine line that does kill me too. I just think I don't care if I. I think it's awesome when people are able to get those brand deals and work with products. And yes. Stuff, but I do I wish just, you success in that department. Yes. I want you I just to want realness. That's what I want. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I feel maybe, that to my core. Maybe that will never change for a long time or never will, but mm -hmm. that's what would allow me to want to work with a brand is if I could showcase it in a really real standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I think the only brands I could ever stand behind is something that I really believe in and that is already maybe even incorporated into my life already mm -hmm. for example so maybe someday yeah it, it's important to kind of define where you want to be on that front right and that's what's what I'm kind of struggling with now is like okay where do I want to go with this what is my goal like why am I doing this just because I like connecting with people or do I want to make money off this? Do I want to make a lot of money off this? Is it just monetary gain? Is there something more than monetary gain that I can get from this? You know, like defining those lines and figuring out why I'm taking this path, I think is really important. And that's kind of what's guiding me on what types of partnerships I take or, you know, what I'm sharing and what I want to make my platform about. I think that's kind of what also keeps things like slowly and largely successful is if you actually know what route you're trying to take on it and you've reflected on that a little bit. Yeah. The why, like why, why am I doing this? Do you know your why? I don't. No. No, I'm still figuring it out that's to be nice. honest. Yeah. That's, that's nice. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I have all these, all these different whys, but there's nothing cohesive. And I think that's why I was so unsure about you being like, you're a digital creator. And I'm like, Am I? Oh, I did write that. I wrote that I was that. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like, clearly I'm like still fumbling around with the pieces, well, but. that's just what we're all doing. We're all just trying to figure out our why. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay not to know. It's okay. Exactly. I'm like a, I'm like a big little like journal, like journaler though. So I feel like when I have thoughts that are rolling about, you know, dreams or goals and those things, I'm mm -hmm. definitely always writing them down. Even if they don't end up happening, that's okay. But... Yeah. Yeah. How do you kind of go about figuring out your why? Do you think you're very like internal with that stuff or do you talk with someone or? I think it's more internal for me. Yeah. 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 Looking at pausing and being like, why did I do this? Or why, why am I here? Am I enjoying this? Do I need to be doing this right now? Um, being intentional about taking time off of that social media is a huge thing as well. And I know there's the whole like, I'm quitting social media or like, hey, I'm leaving for the weekend. And I think you don't even have to say that. You know, I, my, the funniest thing for me is when people are like, hey, just want to let you know I'm taking a break. I'm going to be off social media for the next 40. Just fucking leave. Mm -hmm. Just Maybe leave. You just need to have all that like larger understanding of that. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. You like don't feel bad. Or no, something. you shouldn't feel bad. You don't need to tell everyone and make a public service announcement. And more importantly, you do not need to apologize when you come back. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was gone for the last X amount of time because of X, Y, and Z reasons. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter. 
you don't owe anyone that explanation show up when you show up and you feel that creative passionate juice and you want to be there people will appreciate and know that you want to be there when you do and i think that's a stronger version of you being able to take that time for yourself is knowing you don't owe anyone any explanation and that you can just walk out and come back whenever you want anytime i am connecting with someone in regards to the platform or podcast or they're connecting with me first whatever it is Mm -hmm. and people i actually like start telling i have i've done this for a long time i actually even tell friends that people are like Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't got back to your message for a couple of days. And I'm like, stop apologizing. Yes. As like you, yes. you answered me when you felt like you could. Thank you for answering yeah. me. Unless like obviously we had a meeting and you missed it and didn't answer me. Then it's like, okay, where are you at? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different. Like I'm just talking about like actually, you know, people getting back to messages or emails, whatever it is. Like I don't think anyone ever owes me or anyone an apology or an explanation. No. And I just, I'm, I just want to be the person that reminds them like do not apologize yeah. like my new thing lately is just literally telling people stop yeah. apologizing yeah, stop apologizing i was like you don't owe me anything no or anyone so no. just remember that please yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly well i really appreciate that conversation about all things digital creating and remembering to unapologetically be yourself i think and yeah. also just you know step back taking care of yourself yeah. too yes at the end of the day, you know, you're all you have and you just have to make sure that you're putting yourself first and it's, it's good to be kind and to help others, but you have to make sure that you're filling up your cup too. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. We are closing the door on that subject. <laughs> I think. Right yes. Thank but you. Next. We want to talk about the side of your social media and, and yourself that kind of embraces more of your culture and the importance of that and really your identity behind it all. Mm-hmm. So, being a proud, Can- oh, sorry, Chinese Canadian, was that always something that you felt from a young age? Was that something that you always embraced or you were proud of and you were supported in that area? Um, so, no. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely hard no on that. Um, I think figuring out my identity and truly accepting my identity came with the pandemic. <laughs> the okay. pandemic really started up with so many things for everyone. Burned down things, you know, gave life to new things. It's been the best and worst time of our lives. Yeah, was right? For many reasons. For yeah. so many reasons. And that, I think, was the spark of me looking into my culture and, and figuring out what why I felt the way I felt about my own background and it all started with the you know stop asian hate movement and the pandemic being caused by chinese people in china and the racism and the violence and the awful things that came from that that is where it all started for me and i i hate to admit that it took such awful things for me to step back and say is there something I can contribute towards this? And am I also part of the problem? You know, why are people so awful towards any certain race, right? Whether that's Chinese people, whether that's black people, whether that's Indian people, whether that's in the indigenous population in Canada, you know, why do we treat other people different? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately I was, a part of the problem like I also treated others different because of their differences and 
that stemmed from a very long root of hating my own background because seeing other people treat me differently for the way I was made me think, oh, I just need to be more like you and less like me. And seeing that violence during COVID really made me step back and evaluate how I portray my culture and how I react towards the things that make me me. And that's been a long, it's only been a few years, um, but it, I feel like I've moved mountains in that time and uh, it's still going to be a lifelong journey for sure. I mean, that comes to anything, whether it's about culture or your background or not, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is a lifelong thing. When you were a teenager, maybe this is a good example, just because I feel like as a teenager, once myself and many other people... <laughs> we were all there once. <laughs> we were all there once. And I think that was obviously... Awful. And will always be a really hard time in terms of like learning to be yourself because yes. you just want to be like the next person. Yes. And you just want to fit in. You just want to be liked and loved and whatever. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you always wanted to be like everyone else around you? Yes. Like growing up in a small town, like were you like one of the only Chinese Canadian? We were the only. Yeah. Like yes. That must have been really tough. Yes. Yeah. I always say 10 out of 10 would not recommend, but yeah. I still look back on that experience and I think you know what, this happened and there's nothing we can do to change it, but we can change things moving forward. So having those conversations with my peers, with my community, I think is so important and it's helped me accept it, right? A lot of times it feels like, oh, I'm trying to help the community become better people. But at the end of the day, you also need to help yourself. And that was a big thing for me is coming out and talking about things that I was uncomfortable with made me a better person mm -hmm. you know not just talking about loving my culture and accepting it and Chinese people being so amazing that's that's not what it's about it's about like digging deeper and figuring out why I had those negative connotations towards my culture and whether that was due to other people not accepting my culture or treating me a different way that doesn't matter now because I have to figure out how to change that narrative for myself going forward so we don't have to get into the details about maybe what made you feel uncomfortable because like you said that's that's what it was then and this is where you are now in mm -hmm. terms of trying to embrace and learn about some of that stuff why do you think it is so important for you know you with your culture or anybody to actually really identify and embrace where they come from why do you think that is and is important for you? I think it's really important because it's important to have representation. We talk a lot about representation when it comes to minorities uh, and the importance of representation. We talk about why it's important, but we don't really understand why it's why. important, right? Yeah. We all say representation, we need Asian representation, we need black representation, we need all of these other colors that aren't white. Yeah. And it's like, but why? And I think about myself as a kid if I could have had someone like, I want to say like me and then, the yeah. And at first my initial thought when I say something like that is, Oh, don't be high on yourself, Vanessa. You're not that important, but no, I'm going to be like, Hey, I'm a kicking awesome person. And I feel like I'm accomplished. I'm doing amazing things and I'm constantly trying to be a better person. It would be nice if I had someone, whether that was in the media, on social media, 
in my classroom that came and was like, hey, these are things I love about our food and these are things I love about this food and you know, I want you to share something about your food that your favorite thing to eat at home is. And I've never had that conversation with anyone, ever. Nobody has ever been like, oh, that's, you know, real, when I was a kid anyway, like, that's really interesting. Like, I would love to try that. We, I didn't have those interactions and I think it doesn't even need to be that important of a connection or a moment, just seeing somebody that looks like you doing something that you, you don't usually see is important because it makes you think, hey, I can be a two or I can be a this too. Yeah. And it's weird when you're young, you can't put two and two together. You're like, oh, well, if only white people can do this, then only white people can do this. And it's like, what? But we're all just humans. We're all just humans. And we, we, we draw ourselves towards things that look similar to us or have gone through similar experiences as us, right? And I want to be that representation. I want to appeal to younger me, essentially. Well, I think that's really important because imagine if some, like, you know, 13, 14-year-old came across some of your videos that are really focused in on embracing your culture and he or she is like, oh my gosh, this, this woman is eating the same food that I eat. Like, that's not weird that I bring that to school or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's not weird that I do these things because she's doing them too and she's an adult and she's a, she's a pharmacist and a digital creator and she makes chocolate. <laughs> I can do any of those things too. Yes, exactly. So I think that's pretty, that's could be very pivotal for someone, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. those are the really great benefits of social media. Yeah, exactly. And, and I know I try to remind myself, I don't owe anybody any explanation, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't need to educate everyone and I'm, that's not my role or my job and I don't owe you that explanation. But when it benefits me and is positive for me to have that interaction, I want to be able to share that with everyone. And I want to bring people into my culture in a positive way and share it in a way that I never did when I was younger. So obviously it's a learning experience still and taking it day by day, especially because you feel like it wasn't until the pandemic where you really had that shift in mindset, but do you feel a lot more empowered like in yourself and within your identity nowadays? Yes, I definitely do. And it's, it's, you sound empowered. Yeah, I, I do feel empowered and, and mostly it's by realizing how far we still have to go. And not only we, but me, like I thinking on myself where I've improved, where I've improved my mindset about the whole thing, but then still realizing that I have these like on, conscious biases constantly we talk about having unconscious um microaggressions right towards other minorities and being aware of those microaggressions and trying to address those microaggressions when they happen and it made me realize that i even have those microaggressions towards myself and my own race. And one of the really exciting things I did this year, I was in Kelowna for Chinese New Year. Oh, wow. Yes, I was visiting my friend, Crystal, and uh, she has a bunch of friends that she's already made in Kelowna. She was only there for like a, a two weeks at that point, but she made all these connections with a bunch of other Asian women in Kelowna because okay. apparently there was a very small Asian population in Kelowna. They could, she's like, I couldn't find any Asians and she's from Hong Kong. So oh, wow. yes, she's from Hong Kong originally, but she's been in Canada for a long time. Not that that matters. Um, but we went to drag brunch together 
and it was a table of all Asians at Drag Brunch. We were the only table of color in the restaurant, which was crazy to me. I'm like, I've never been the table of color, the only table of color. That's crazy. And we had this fabulous time drinking, eating brunch, have this amazing drag show, and we're all laughing. And as we're walking down the street, I took this video of us saying Chinese, happy Chinese New Year to everyone. We're all excited. And I thought about all of the girls screaming behind me and they were all excited, screaming all these Chinese things and the ways they dressed differently than me because there were some Chinese women that were from China. They weren't born here. So I was the whitest girl at the table. <laughs> like, and at one time in my life, all I wanted was to be the whitest girl at the table. And this one time where I hung out with a bunch of amazing, fun, beautiful Asian women, I felt like I didn't fit in. Hmm. I was like, oh my God, I, I want to be more like you. And they're like, you're definitely the whitest one here. And I was like, oh my God, I am the whitest one here. And like I said, that was such a gold standard for me for so long. I, my narrative, the way I talked, the way I addressed our culture was always, oh yeah, I'm a banana, right? I'm yellow on the outside, I'm white on the inside. I'm truly white like you. I wanted everything, I did everything I could to convince people that I was something else. And then in this one moment where I was finally, where I felt like I belonged, I didn't. And that was really interesting to me because when they spoke and when they laughed and sometimes they were really loud or the way they dressed, it was very clearly very different from me. Um, in some moments, I felt shame. I felt embarrassed because I remembered those like small stereotypes and microaggressions over the years, you know, like fresh off the boat, a fob. I hated fobs. I thought they were so annoying in university. They were so loud. They dressed weird. And I hate that I can say things like this and that I truly thought things like this at one time, right? That was awful of me, but it's true. And I did think that. And these were people that I was hanging out with just, you know, a month or so ago. And for a second, a couple brief seconds, I thought those thoughts. I was like, oh my God, they're so loud. This is really embarrassing. Like I'm looking at all the white people around me, like oh, I'm not one of them. But then I'm also trying to be one of them because I am one of them. And that was like an internal struggle for me because I was really enjoying myself. This was the first time I'd ever hung out with a group of only Asian women. Like how does it take a, per can you imagine if it took you 31 years to hang out with only a group of white girls? I don't even know. Is that crazy? Like, yeah, it is. Can I you mean, imagine if the first time you hung out with five white girls at brunch was just last month? It would seem like a very pivotal moment if I had recognized that. And I think for you, it almost showcases the reality of maybe some of like the shame and difficult struggles that you felt with your identity mm -hmm. especially now like coming full circle and realizing where you were and who you were spending your time with there and I think I think you shouldn't feel bad about having those thoughts that you maybe even recently have had mm -hmm. because I think that's just kind of almost like society and media in the back of your head mm -hmm. as well as maybe I don't know even just 
maybe there have in the course of your life been some really terrible people that you've met in terms of not just you know not just racist in terms of you know Chinese and Chinese Canadians but just in general mm-hmm. but I think it's just important that you're even talking out loud about these things yes That's how you start to even yeah. move forward even more yeah right yeah exactly and I thought it was very important for me to just verbalize it because when it no, after I, it happened I, I was like appreciate it. That's amazing. yeah I just and I really wanted to share that feeling with everyone because it felt so uncomfortable. And that's what it's all about, right? It's having those uncomfortable conversations and connecting with people. And I connected with my own, quote unquote, my own people. And that was uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And just realizing that that was uncomfortable is important, right? And I think it's pretty inspiring that you want to even become and continue to embrace your culture to be like all those women in that group that maybe are at a different level of embracing yes. things too, yes right yeah because it reminds you it's almost like your little girl inside you that's like oh like i need like i can be like this i too. can be like this it's too yeah yes exactly yeah yeah so what of like what are some of your favorite parts about your Chinese culture? Like even we can even just chat about food quickly. Yeah, too. food. <laughs> I was just gonna say there's that. no question about it. It is food. We have the best food, hands and some down. Some people don't even actually, and I, I'm I am very very white, but I, I like uh, my partner and his family and myself. We do go to like authentic Chinese dim sum. Um, he actually grew up like going to dim sum. But a lot of people actually don't even realize, well, that's not true. I think it's kind of come a little bit further, obviously, but what authentic dim sum is even. Yeah, no, I can a, a lot of people think that Chinese food is obviously, I don't know if this is like wrong today, I'm just trying to describe in my head, but a lot of people think it's just like, you know, like what, if you go to the food court in the mall, like that's Chinese food. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, it's really not yeah. totally authentic. Chinese exactly. Food. It's like... So, mm-hmm. That is the food we created for Western for people. Canada, really, yes, in America, but, exactly. Yeah. We we tailored it and we changed it so that it would be palatable to which is your fair. taste. I understand that. Yes, it, it, and it was it was a mechanism of survival. Honestly, yeah. I I don't I don't blame any of that, and I don't put any negativity on that because that's how we survived. That's how my parents survived, yeah. and that's still how they're surviving. They still serve a lot of those dishes at their restaurant now. Because they're in a small town, and that's what people are are and accepting people of. Like, yeah, yeah, but we've changed that narrative. We've tried to introduce, you know, some parts of our traditional food, and it's been welcomed with open arms, and, and I love that. I, dim sum in the city is actually very popular. Yeah, I'm not sure where if you ever go in the city um, or not. Maybe you're just cooking at home. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we but, go we go for dim sum quite a bit. Oh, yeah, uh, we like. Uh, we used to go to Yipong's like, yeah. back when it was even at the old location. Yeah, on 8th. I haven't gone as much to the new one. Like, maybe I haven't gone in a few months or, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I'll be honest, there are obviously a couple things that I would love to learn to embrace even more. But they're maybe not. It's more of, like, a couple of foods that I'm, like, trying to eat. So I'm like, I want to like this. And I'm like, it becomes one of those things where I have this determination with food sometimes. Um... I actually used to hate olives, like, as a teenager, but it's, like, one of my favorite food categories now, so... You've got to just try it again and again and again. I'm like that, though. Like, I'm, like, I'm liking this. I'm going to love olives, and now it's, like, something I could eat a whole bowl of. Oh, my gosh. I have not reached that point of olive (laughs) adult level. (laughs) I'm a a stupid olive girl. Oh, my God. I'm not there yet. I can eat olives, like, chopped up really fine in things. Like, I love the flavor that it imparts, but Mm. I, I still can't eat an olive. 
and enjoy I'm it. I'm I'm going to. I will. I will. I would like to be able, and I like the flavors and um, well, because it um, sorry, I'm like not describing this well, but I would like to like tripe. Um, yes. <laughs> I like because I like ginger. I like the I the like flavors. The yes. It's just the texture that bothers me a yes. little bit. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can understand why that's probably why there are a lot of people maybe who wouldn't like yeah. it. And it's just um, because that texture is not familiar to you, yeah, right? Exactly. Like the things that you ate growing up, none of the those normal things had that texture. So yeah. I have that texture conversation all the time. And initially, I used to get very annoyed when people said, I don't like the texture. I would say it in that voice, like, like I don't like that texture. And I'm like, shut you up. Don't know it yet. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Like, my parents didn't like the texture of cheese. So it, it's the same thing and it's okay. And once I got to the point where I was like, it's okay not to like the texture of Vanessa because they're not familiar with it. So yeah. let's get familiarized with it. Let's try different things that have different textures and, and just be open to them and, yeah. and be open to trying things again. Totally. Right? So what are your, some of your favorite foods? Oh my God. I'm seafood is probably my biggest love. We yeah. ate a lot of seafood growing up. Like, Lobster, crab, oysters, clams. We do a lot of steamed whole fish. Seafood's right. a huge part of our, uh, a part of our cuisine. So. And I wonder if people don't even realize that sometimes. Yes. Honestly, just like to make a point of that, since yep. we're talking about maybe some of the points that don't people don't realize that are Chinese like culture. Yeah. But I mean, I always tell my husband we would my parents would steam a whole fish every day. For dinner. We always had a whole fish with a bunch of other plates of things. Vegetables, eggs, stuff like that. But there was always a whole fish on the table. Yeah. And that was like something I remember ever since I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's been helpful having family members like in the city that you live in too? Like whether, do they still live in the small town? Yeah. So they're they're actually in Unity, Saskatchewan now, which is even further. My parents retired from the restaurant life after like almost 30 years and then they got bored and then they bought another place right before the pandemic like perfect timing it was awful but things are going great now um so they still come and visit and they buy their groceries in saskatoon too so once a week we see them and yeah so we we have dinner once a week every single week like clockwork and do you think that's been helpful in terms of your identity and embracing your culture like still having your family around and getting to have those dinners together yes absolutely and I don't think we've ever not done that like as long as I can remember like food and and dinner was always a part of our kind of family connection we don't we don't say I love you We, we don't have any of those like stereotypical love things that I used to think were important but Growing up and really understanding why my parents acted the way they did, why they made the decisions they did, I can really appreciate now um, kind of where we're at and how we show our love through food. And I think that's one of the greatest things we have is showing our love through food. And that's why I share so much of our food adventures and, and so many of just our like family moments when they come to visit. It's something I would have hidden away from my friends my entire life. And now I can't share enough of it. I want people to see it and I want people to connect with it and be like, oh, wow, like, what are you eating? That looks different. What are the recipes? And that's a goal for me is I don't know any of our recipes. I made it my goal to only make things that were appealed to others. Yeah, that would appeal to others. And the others to me was always white people because that was the people I wanted to please or, or find acceptance with, right? 
to the Chinese community, I felt like I was already, I was already a queen. They were like, yeah, there, she's amazing. Like, but I owed them so much more because like I said, I treated my own culture like shit for the longest time, but I would still love all the food that I ate. And it's just, you know, so hypocritical to me that it's nice to, like you said, come, process. yeah, it's nice to come full circle now and say, okay, if my parents die while going home this weekend, I will never taste any of those things that I love so much ever again. And it's kind of really pushed me to be like, okay, I need to be intentional about asking how to make something. And you know how parents are or grandparents are like, yeah, I just make it. I just put some of this stuff in and it's like, okay, well, I need more detailed instructions. No, I, I, thanks for touching on that because I, unfortunately, I, ha- I definitely have some of the regrets in uh, my own experience, but I mean, I can't be so hard, hard on myself because I was very young, but my my grandmother, um, like my baba, I'm mm-hmm. Ukrainian, she was probably, she definitely didn't speak Ukrainian later on in her life just because of um, like her old age, but she was one of the last people like in, like obviously the, the uh, legacy of my Ukrainian like heritage there mm-hmm. who actually spoke Ukrainian and she definitely passed down a lot of like her cooking to my mom and her sisters but one of my goals obviously while like my mom is still healthy and young and around is being able to learn some of those things i've never made progies with my mom yet do you know what i mean like that's something that is important to me it is completely but like I mean, yes, I don't eat pierogies all the time. Like, that's not something I'm eating. And a lot of the other recipes that we cook, I eat a lot of different um, foods. But in terms of, like, celebrating Christmases and Easter's, that is the culture that I grew up in. And my partner really doesn't have um, a certain background that they follow for those kind of holidays, besides, like, whatever they have been their own, like, family traditions. But mm-hmm. um, he actually came to our last Christmas where we usually do, like, a good chunk of the courses when it comes to Ukrainian um, dinners and we don't even do the extent of what we used to when my grandma was around but um, he got to be a part of like those different courses that we do um, for the holidays and everything and I want to be able to do that for myself someday when I have our own family yeah so but I have regrets about not getting to do some of those things with my grandma but she had just passed away when I was in high school and you know, all those years when I was 10 and stuff, it was more just about, like, spending time with her, and I wasn't really like, this is really important yes. to learn this. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I feel very, very fortunate that I still have those family members by my side, and that yeah. um, having that realization is very important, that, you know, time is always just going, and you just don't really know when that thing will change. Well, I'm glad that you're able to embrace some of those things and take time like with your parents and and your grandparents to Mm -hmm. learn and identify even further while they're still around too yeah exactly (laughs) and it's kind of hanging on to those moments that I used to be annoyed about or ashamed about and and just turning that right like like I said earlier those thoughts don't just go away it's not like one day I said I'm going to advocate for my culture now and that means I'm a good person and I love everything about my culture like you can't just erase what decades and decades of like societal norms teaches you. And one of the most important things is just coming to terms with that, knowing that, Hey, I'm not going to change overnight and I'm not going to change anyone else's mind overnight, but it's small, small steps, right? Realizing in the moment when I'm annoyed about something, 
pausing and thinking, okay, why do I feel like this? And then doing that over and over and over again and just slowly unteaching those negative thoughts and negative habits and those microaggressions that are just like buried so deep that you've just got to slowly scoop at it. Like like catching yourself in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With anything and the specific what we're talking about. But exactly. We'll keep posting about those things that you have been because I like them. And I think that they could be really helpful to other people out there, especially younger generations too, who mm-hmm. maybe are feeling the same way that you did for a long time. And unfortunately, maybe they don't even have as much of a support system either or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So. It's so nice to have those connections and have people reach out and say, hey, like, thanks for sharing this. Or, like, people admitting and saying, hey, I'm not where you're at right now, but I'm trying to get there. And then seeing people in my community and having that same feeling for myself, thinking I'm not there right now, but I'm going to try to get there. And all of us just slowly, like, small increments, digging with that tiny spoon and just being a little bit better every day that's what it's about Mm -hmm. it is what it's about so it's all about well thank you so much for everything today i feel like we had some very pivotal little conversations (laughs) like we we covered a lot oh my gosh so i hope everyone listening really was able to take one or ten things from what we said today whether it was Kind of learning to embrace some of the balance of the chaos of social media, learning to when to kind of step away from it when you need to, but as well as getting to learn kind of Vanessa's story and where she comes from. And personally, I think she's pretty funny and inspirational. <laughs> so I hope everybody took something from today and I appreciate everybody listening as well. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Well, everyone, you tune in when we have a new episode in a couple weeks and stay real. <laughs>